Support for the show comes from Atlassian. Having trouble getting things done at work? You're not alone. Maybe in order to unlock amazing outcomes, it's time to stop looking up and down for answers and instead start looking across. What do we mean by that? The companies with the fastest speed to market tend to be the ones that look across the organization rather than up and down the hierarchy. Stay tuned to hear how Atlassian software like Confluence, Jira, and Loom can help maximize effective teamwork in your organization. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Support for Pivot comes from Pendo. Pendo improves the apps your customers and employees rely on. Whether you're building applications for customers or managing applications for employees, Pendo can help deliver better experiences for your users so they can get more value from your software. Visit pendo.io slash pivot to learn more about how your team can use Pendo to start building better digital experiences. There you can also check out Pendo's lineup of free certification courses, 12 hours of in-depth training for your product management teams on topics from AI to product analytics to product-led growth. That's pendo.io slash pivot to learn more. Hey everyone, this is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And in the last 72 hours, I've received approximately 15 emails that can be best summarized as in the subject line, I think you're my father. <laughs> and then the body of email will, will then go on to say, just kidding, but I'd love to get together to talk to you about my new SaaS platform disrupting the no. billion-dollar home care market. You're kidding. So everyone is now claiming to oh, be- um, well. I just, I, I think you're my father, Scott. That's what I think. Yeah. Every time I got to admit, every time I'm in LA and I see a guy in his mid thirties, that's losing his hair and just seems like an asshole and generally unpleasant and uh -huh. happy. I want to go, son, <laughs> son. <laughs> I think that's funny. Everybody, please call me if you think uh, you're Scott's child and we will have a get together and surprise him for his birthday. It'll be great. Yeah, that would be a surprise. I'll give you that. We that would be a surprise. A, Don't do, a do it contest. on my birthday. I get depressed. We should do a Find Scott's Children contest. Yeah. No? Yeah. No. Tasteless? No. I don't know. No. I think it'd be kind of interesting to meet them and see what happened to them and what they what they did. And don't you think that would be interesting? Uh well, it's something I've we talked about this on the last episode. It's something I've thought about a lot the last twenty years. And I never What if actually... they're like someone like very famous? What if like it's like a Hollywood star or suddenly Chris Hemsworth is your child? Stuff like that. Then I'd be like Britney's father or Vanessa or the Williams sister's father. I would just be constantly talking about their career and, yeah. you know, giving them advice when they didn't yeah. need it on I mean, Twitter. It, could be. it doesn't have to go the negative way. It could be like, you know, you're like, oh, they asked me for money. Maybe they're like really wealthy and you can ask them for money. There you just go. Say. That, could, that could happen. That, that could, could happen. happen. Anyway, well, I'm very glad and uh, happy Father's Day. In any case, um, uh, we're going to talk today about a lot of things. Earnings are in for Netflix and Tesla, among others. We'll see who's up and who's down. Very interesting earnings uh, sessions for both of them. Also, Amazon makes a leap into healthcare, as Scott predicted. We'll take a listener question about mid-career pivots. Also, 
Uh, but first, Elon Musk and Twitter are headed to court this fall. A Delaware judge set the showdown for five days in October. It was a very favorable ruling for Twitter. Uh, Twitter had asked for September, but this is being a huge win for the company because it's a very speedy trial. Twitter wanted this speedy trial in part to limit damage Musk could do via his Twitter account, which was part of the pleadings. Um, so anyway, so what do we think of this? This is just a win, right? Just a flat out win. It's going to be fast and dirty kind of kind of trial. Well, this is one of the myths that's out there is that when you have this kind of these kind of deep pockets and this sort of public support that um, he has both of that you could extend a trial for years or decades, right? Yeah, and that was his hope. What what people fail to realize is that this isn't like a class action suit against cigarette companies. It's not even an antitrust case. This is. A case whose court uh, or domain where it's tried in is literally built for speed. And think about this. He asked for, and it, and it kind of already says, well, this was an indication. This was already an observation from the court. And that is, he said, I want to do this in February. We have a bunch of work to do and analysis. And the the Delaware chancellor, who's, you know, she's, she's the lead dog, so to speak, uh, uh, Chancellor McCormick, who's been assigned to the case, she said, no, it's going to be five days and it's going to be in October. <laughs> I mean, and then he has one remedy. If he doesn't like the decision, he can take it to the Delaware Supreme Court. Usually they send it to that court within two weeks. That's an even speedier trial. So what we're looking at here is something that's probably over by the end of October. So this all this BS of people saying, well, Twitter should settle because it doesn't want to go through the pain and the time, it's just not accurate. Yeah, they should they should go for it. This this judge, the, the what she was saying to the lawyer, I listened to to it, um, was not favorable to Elon, I have to say. It was she was not having any of it, as you as we talked about. These these judges really it's a contract dispute is what it is. And they don't treat it like it's a Twitter war. And they don't care. They don't care. They're, yeah, like, they're not They're not interested in shitposting. They're not interested in finding out that we're going to get to Mars sooner because of him. And they're just, she's just, like you said, not buying it. Now, what I think is interesting here is while everyone argues over what's going to happen, I think it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. Then it's fun to start thinking about, all right, uh, and, and let me pat ourselves on the back and I realize the arrogance of the statement. So far, we've been right on 100%. this. And and so the question is, all right, every day, every day that goes forward, the stock appears to be going up because people now recognize they have a claim for 5420 against the wealthiest man in the world that's going to be upheld in a chance record in Delaware. So the question then becomes, well, what could someone really wily and smart and well-advised and wealthy like Elon Musk could do? And if you think about the likely penalty or negotiation bogey here. It'll be the delta, and you pointed this out in the last episode, it'll be the delta between the market cap of the company at that time and 5420. So I wouldn't put it past him, and this is going to sound very counterintuitive, that when his lawyers say we're fucked, you're going to get a judgment against you, he might take actions to uh, increase the stock price. What if he announced uh, in a week or two weeks when he realized he's screwed here, uh, we've done some information, and while the bots were a legitimate problem and I was smart to bring it up, I plan to close. Stock zooms to 50, and then he calls Brett Taylor and he says, all right, you don't want me to own this. I'm not sure I want to own it. Stock's at 50. I'll just give you $4.20 and we'll call it a day. I what see. if he announced he was buying more stock because he thought it was undervalued? In other words, he now has an incentive to move the stock price higher and move the delta between between the bogey and the agreed upon purchase price, because that will be the quote unquote bogey for damage. Oh, wow. That's a little bit stock manipulative. I feel SEC. It is. It is stock manipulation. It is. But if he just, but if Hollywood, they would have to prove that he was, he was not genuine about closing. And as long as, as long as he said, no, I'm ready to own it again. I'm back. I have another manic episode. I can feel it coming on. 
and I've decided I should own this, and it's a, it's a, it's that's a. It's an interesting a, situation. That sounds like him, doesn't it? It does. It's well, sort that's of what I was I think thinking. He, the, the other thing, though, from people I talk to close to him, there's a, there's a lot of pull from his family to not do this. Like people closest to him, like this is not a good thing for him to be engaged in. Um, now, whether he gets influenced by it or not is is another question. This is where it goes back to the way we treat rich people differently. Danger of the SEC. Okay, we found a year later that you were guilty of market manipulation. We're finding you a record fine of $100 million. I mean, he committed securities fraud on Twitter a couple of years ago. And, they and then found, he did they, it again with it. I mean, allegedly did it again with and this. Yeah. The numbers are so big that they don't really matter. Or yeah, his wealth care. is so big that You're any right. fine doesn't Why not say, okay, I'm going to buy it? But, sure, but if the Delaware Chancellor says, okay, the stock's at 30, uh, you said fifty-four. You're you're basically got to come up with here, Mr. Musk, another fifteen to twenty billion dollars. And what also people say is they make it sound like he's bulletproof. Even the world's wealthiest man, even if you're worth one hundred fifty billion dollars, if you have a judgment against you that says you have to come up with twenty billion dollars in cash, that's not. You don't have that in your drawer. Yeah, it is in his interest for the stock to go up at this point. He tried to make it go down. Now it, 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 the interests are to get it up. To get it up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's an interesting. Anyways, it's going to be very interesting. Interesting. We'll see what he's up to. But this judge ain't putting up with any shit. That's for sure. Anyway, also this week, President Biden announced new executive actions around climate change, including a $2.3 billion in federal funding to help communities build weather resistant infrastructure. The move comes as heat waves cause problems for governments and industries around the world. It's interesting why Biden didn't declare an emergency in Wednesday's speech. Uh, there's heat, the heat wave is getting a lot of attention in Europe, obviously. Um, where my kids are actually in England, they said it's just astonishing. They don't have air conditioning there. The heat is, the, the whole country is is in panic over what's happening. But um, wh- what's he doing here? Is he trying to get Manchin back to the table? Manchin said he wants Congress to act on climate, though it's not clear if anyone should believe him. Um, you know, he had blocked a bunch of bills, some more mansioning, some more mansioning and things like that. Um, so what, what do we, what do we know? And also, by the way, B- Biden apparently has COVID, we've learned. So- uh, like everybody else, I guess. I'm. I, I think the Biden comms team has done such a terrible job. If you, I mean, what if two years ago um, you would have been told that in the first year of the next president's uh, term, let's not even say Biden or Trump, but the new president elected in 2020, that in two in two years this the country is going to have 10 million new jobs, a 3.6 percent unemployment rate, which is kind of an all time low. An 86% drop in COVID death rate. The biggest ever infrastructure bill passed. The first gun safety bill in 30 years passed. And meanwhile, his approval ratings are the lowest ever. So, and and he also has a couple of people pretending to be Democrats. I I gave Joe Manchin, or Senator Manchin, the benefit of the doubt and thought, okay, he's the last of a dying breed. I'm a rabid moderate. I get that he says the infrastructure bill needs to be dialed back. It's inflationary. I like moderates. I like people who don't just immediately sign up for the party line and reach across the aisle. What is clear, though, is that Joe Manchin is a radical narcissist and just wants to leverage uh, his position as the swing vote for power, even when it's bad for America, as evidenced by the fact that he might get in the way of this amazing, <laughs> fantastic, elegant legislation to stop these inversions that decreases our tax base where corporations arbitrage different tax rates around the world, thousands of diplomats, tax people. Janet Yellen showed incredible leadership here. This mm-hmm. was going to be her yep. crowning Signature. achievement. Yeah. And he's decided, I know, here's a chance for me. 
to be the spoiler and be in front of cameras. And, and also get money from corporations, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's basically, okay, this guy and Republicans voting against it. It's purely partisan. How do we embarrass the president? Even if it's good for the country, we don't want to give the president a win ever, even if it's good for the country. And that is where Senator Manchin is right now. There is no economic uh, moral, geopolitical reason to get in the way of what is arguably should be the most. You know, he does make the argument that he's always the one that, you know, he's right about not spending too much, right about he's the moderate middle, essentially, is his, his appeal. That, that, that was I think he lost that it. credibility with this one. I would agree. I would agree with this one. I, I would agree. I think some of the things, a lot, is doing a lot of Republicans really like him and not the, the more moderate Republicans. They think they need someone like him and them in the middle versus the ones on the right and the left. And all these Republicans in New York that are throwing fundraisers for him. I mean, it's great to have, it's great to have someone. People immediately say when, you know, and we would do the same thing. If, if, if a Republican kind of, I don't want to say turns against their party, we call them a hero and brave. And so I would imagine that Joe Manchin is raising more money from Republicans right now than Democrats. Yep, I would agree. He is. He was. I've heard so many Republican, moderate Republicans praise, sing his praises, saying he's the only thing in between uh, the crazy spending Democrats and the crazy, just the crazy Republicans, essentially. We we have what, we, I'm just going back to the communications thing here. We have what could, what, what is might be looking like hopefully a soft landing out of, you know, where we've created all this underbrush ready to start our own super fire. I believe we have, for the first time, repaired um, uh, relationships with our allies. So what would you do? Give me, like, Mr. Brand, what would you do? Just do press conferences? Um, I, I, do? I think they need more aggressive uh, spokespeople. I think, unfortunately, they can't rely on um, Vice President Harris, who brightens up a room by leaving it. But they need to find, uh, unfortunately, biology is not politically correct. And I think President Biden uh, looks feeble when he speaks. Uh, which I think is 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 a terrible thing to say, and it's absolutely true. Uh, I think they need to identify some people in the cabinet and send them on offense. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, like uh, Buttigieg, etc. You're right. It's interesting. They, what would you uh, do? Uh, I, 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 you know, it's interesting because I, I think Democrats, you know. Uh, need to fall in love with their candidates and, um, and Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love, that same thing. I think he, he spent his life getting to be president here. And it's a little like they need to back him. Like that he's the guy. It's interesting because Republican strategists are like, why are you attacking Biden? He make him your man. He beat Trump. He did this. He did that. More interesting strategies coming from Republicans and how Biden should do it than Democrats who prefer to tear down their candidates, um, which I think is really like, what's next? There's sort of a what's next. And the Republicans are like, you've got a guy who beat Trump, who can beat Trump and who it, it has a great, you know, just a great rapport. It feels normal and this and that. And so I don't, I, I think probably you're right. He's, he, he, he looks old is what he does. He look, although he looks very fit, like compared to Trump, who, uh, you know, doesn't look very good physically. Um, he looks good. So I, I, I feel like he's a transitional president, unfortunately, uh, away from tr getting, because all the polls right now are so anti-Trump, people who, uh, seniors, people who supported Trump. So it's getting away from Trump. That's what he's served his purpose. And unfortunately, um, that's where I think he is. I think that's what he well, is. Well, the Democratic Party to its fault is more democratic. And that is, they let people speak their minds and they don't kind of hold them in line. And I mean, I think AOC is an incredible communicator. And yeah, she brings much she needed, was, yeah. she needs a much needed kind of youthful vibe to the Democratic Party or Washington in general, as she brings the average age down about 40 years just by being there. 
And she's powerful on social media. And what I find about the far or the more progressive part of the Democratic Party is their general view of the president is that he's not gone far enough. And they're disappointed that he's not asking for this or he's disappointed he didn't go further on this or he's disappointed that he wasn't as powerful or as forceful. Well, you know what? He needs your help. (laughs) Right. It's like I would be tougher if I was him. It's like, you know, I'm president. Fuck you. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and not like go for consensus all the time. I think he's too consensus driven, I think. And at this point, he should be power driven in a lot of ways. Anyway, the House voted to protect same sex marriages this week, but the bill faces a rocky road in the Senate. Senate Democrats haven't agreed to vote on the bill before the August uh, recess. Again, thanks, Chuck Schumer. The Republicans are saying, uh, saying, uh, they aren't saying how they're going to vote, but some of them are like, oh, maybe I'll vote for it. Democrats need 10 Republicans to pass the bill. If passed, the bill would protect same-sex and interracial marriage from potential Supreme Court decisions. The House uh, also voted on a similar bill to pre- protect contraception. Many Senate Republicans said there's no need for the bill because the Supreme Court is unlikely to overturn these rights, which is the same court that said Roe was settled law. So I wish they would just pass it. It might be, you know, it would be nice if everyone came together on these things just to protect it. Um and not wait until this, this, the Supreme Court does something. Do you think, I haven't looked closely at this, but it all comes down to are there 10 Republicans who would vote for it, uh, senators specifically? Do you think yeah. there are 10? I would imagine there are. I just, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what Chuck Schumer is doing to whip their votes, but, you know, uh, Tom Tillis said he might vote for it. Um, I don't, I probably not. Like, wh- but why wouldn't they vote for it? This is not something, abortion is a very, um, uh, is a is a third rail for a lot of these people in their elections, but you know, I I could think of ten right now. Yeah, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Tom Tillis. Don't, don't they always have a? I mean, it strikes me they never fail to disappoint, though. That they'll come up with reasons why this, in fact, is not good for the gay community, or it doesn't go far, and they'll find reasons to not to not codify it. Uh, yeah. I don't. I'm not as hopeful as you. I, I think I'm not that Susan hopeful. Collins. I think they always disappoint. They always dis- they disappointed the entire time. Susan Collins will come up with a thoughtful reason for why she actually thinks you know Brett Kavanaugh is is not going to. <laughs> I think Susan Collins will vote for it in this case. But you need ten of them. That is absolutely correct. And you know, of course, the enemy of this is Ted Cruz, as as he is the enemy of many things. We'll see, because um, he a lot of people don't like the Supreme Court decision. So. By the way, I'm staying married, and they can try to take my marriage why, away from me. Why should you not be subject to the same pain and misery as the rest of us? I just yes, don't get it. I am subject to the same misery, but I'm not miserable. Anyway, let's get to our first big story. Q2 earnings are rolling in and markets are responding. Netflix stock is up after the company announced that it lost just under 1 million subscribers this past quarter. Uh, 970,000 to be exact. They had projected a loss of 2 million users, so 1 million is a bit better. But this is the first time that Netflix has lost users for two consecutive quarters. Um, but their ad business, you know, people are excited about their ad business and the money it'll bring in. Um, it says it plans to add a million users this quarter. Um, but the ad supported business won't launch until 2023. Um, uh, it's cutting down on password sharing. Um, and, uh, that's another area of revenue growth, I suppose. It faces competition from the streaming players. Um, people felt very positive about Netflix this week. And also, uh, there were several interesting stories. Bill Cohen wrote one about possibly it being bought by someone that it's in, a, it's in the striking range of being bought which was interesting. Didn't used to be, but now it is. I think it's $90 billion versus $300 billion in terms of value. But what do you think of Netflix? They, they seem to have turned a little corner, at least in the minds of some on Wall Street. Yeah, it's a bit of a market indicator. I think people, what's interesting is people find 
uh, proxies for the broader market, and they 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 kind of extrapolate the performance of that company to the broader market. Uh, so Bitcoin appears to have found a floor, and people are saying, well, maybe this is a bottom of the crypto mess, even though I think there's going to be more dominoes to fall there. But also in Netflix, what you're going to start seeing is, you know how you've seen over the course of the past year, people are constantly, and I do this a lot, saying Snap is off 76% since it's 52-week high. What you're going to start seeing more and more of, if hopefully we have a bottom of the market here, is people saying that Netflix is 20% above its 52-week low. In other words, people will start tracking the bounce. And Netflix... Uh, it was. I thought it was really interesting. The market, the market's just so fascinating. It's it's really more about expectations and actual performance. And the expectation here was that it was going to be worse than it was. They lost subscribers, and the stock was up kind of double digits after after the announcement. The article you're referencing with Bill is that there really only there are a finite number of players that could acquire Netflix. Uh, Microsoft would be interesting. Amazon overnight would be kind of the gangster video streaming platform. I don't see how Facebook would justify acquiring this uh, or how they could, but there's just a handful of companies. But I think it's more likely that Netflix goes out and makes some acquisitions. I've always thought that Netflix should acquire uh, Spotify, and then basically they would have the most elegant media subscription company in the world. Because with Spotify, I think a company that's undervalued relative to what they've been able to achieve is Spotify. I think it's below its IPO price. And think about it. No company has been able to distill an entire medium down to one icon that's sortable and easy to find. Try Imagine one button on your phone that could sort through every TV show easily and bring it up. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've talked about this a lot, Netflix and Spotify. But, you know, they do have to acquire. You're right. Or they get acquired. I think I think Bill's piece is very compelling. I've always thought that. But at one point, they were down very low and Yahoo had thought about buying them many years ago, but they, they seem, they, they're a beautiful service with a great brand and they're affordable now to several different companies at this moment. At this moment, it won't last necessarily, but they're the only, you know, great branded streaming platform that's not owned by someone. You know, Hulu's going to get sucked into Disney, um, Warner's consolidating its stuff. Um, and so it, it is sitting out there, uh, you know, so, so is Spotify. Um, so yes, acquisition or be acquired, I think, is probably in its future. And if this ad thing works, Microsoft's an interesting question. Do they want to get into that? I guess they kind of do. They have a lot of commercial c- consumer stuff. It's hard to see the fit there. There's just maybe gaming? only two or three players. They have players. a lot of gaming. They've got yeah, it could fit in there. Netflix, you know, and that's sort of it'd be interesting to see. You know, it just bought Activision. It just it has Minecraft. It's got yeah. It's all around the same metaversey kind of stuff. Anyway, it was good for them for, 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 for doing better. And I think Wall Street, I mean, excuse me, Hollywood really wanted them to fail and probably is breathing a sigh of relief because it affects their other businesses there. Um, Tesla, on the other hand, stock is up even as it reports that sales and profits are down. The company beat earnings expectations and blamed sales dip on COVID lockdowns in Shanghai, but Tesla said it's still on track to increase production by 50% overall this year. It also revealed that it sold 75% of its Bitcoin holdings worth more than $900 million. That's their little weird game over off to the side. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got more and more, uh, competitors. What do you think about the stock jump? The revenue was lower than expected. Deliveries were lower than expected. Inflation and supply chain problems still exist. The cyber truck is nowhere to be found. Um, and whatever it just, and, and Elon's other problems. He's got a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. But I think you have to, I think Tesla's earnings, uh, reflect that the company continues to perform. 
you know, they they had about two dollars and thirty cents in earnings per share versus a buck eighty that was expected. Um, given all the supply chain issues, I, I think this was a. I think the bottom line is a solid quarter. Now, is the company worth more than you know? I've always said, is it a, a great company that performs really well with an amazing product, or is it overvalued? And I would say the answer is yes. I still, I think the company could continue to perform, and the stock could go down fifty percent because I just don't think it, it makes any sense from a valuation standpoint. The other thing that I, I would argue is going to be a real, I don't know, it, it create real pressure on their margins. And, but I've been saying this for years and it hasn't happened. I just got an email for the new Electric 7 Series from BMW, and it's beautiful. And it, it has the range and it has the acceleration. So I just think there's so many people. The F-150 is supposedly an incredible, the electric one. There's just uh, – the analogy you were just talking about Netflix, and you said this several times. Netflix had the entire streaming market to itself for about a decade. And Tesla is coming up on essentially having an entire electric market for itself for about a decade. And then what happened? Disney, Amazon, everyone got into streaming and put huge and pressure. Serious. They're serious. They're quite, you know, whether it's General Motors with it's a high, they have high and low end. Um, uh, General Motors is serious. Ford is serious. BMW is serious. You know, they're all serious now. So, and, and leaning into it, I would say very heavily. And so it's not a side thing. They're changing their, they're changing all the way they deliver cars and thinking about it. So I think they've gotten the religion, all these companies. Um, and that's, a, it's exactly the same situation as Netflix found itself. And not, not to say that it's not, Netflix is still not the best of them, really, but the others are pretty good and very good, not just pretty good. Um, and so as you start to see them rolled out, it depends on, you know, it depends on people wanting to buy these things and the price points. And there's only so many, I think rich people still, I went to a party last night and everyone drove up in a Tesla. Now the question is, will they buy whatever Cadillac or BMW is offering? That's a question. Can they sell it? But they're making aggressive moves to attract them for sure. But the broader point is that 12, so far 12% of S&P companies have reported earnings and over two thirds of them have beaten analysts' expectations. So it doesn't appear, if you will, that at least corporate earnings have gotten the memo regarding uh, an imminent recession. It, you wouldn't know it if you were just looking at earnings. Uh, I mean, two thirds have beaten their estimates. That's really um, that's really impressive. And so, uh, you know, this is all a random walk, but I, I was really interested in the um, uh, in the different earnings calls because so far it's been pretty it's been pretty. Um, powerful. And I think Tesla's up today. I think Bitcoin's up today. You know, markets don't go straight down or straight up, but this does feel like a little bit... It'll be interesting if this was just a bounce, a dead cow bounce, and that we're back to a W and it starts resuming its decline, or if we're going to look back and say that, you know, two to four weeks ago was the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. You love to say dead cat bounce. Anyway, uh, Tesla also said it is open to buying more Bitcoin and this should not be taken as a verdict on Bitcoin. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Amazon's big move into health and take a listener mail to question about career pivots. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from Atlassian. The universal truth with our customers is they're all struggling to get stuff done. Our goal is how do we help them unleash the potential of their people, their teams, and their technology to actually get the right things done at the right time with the right people the right way. And when we do that, magical things truly happen. Don Price is Atlassian's work futurist. It's his job to help Atlassian customers imagine more effective ways to work. 
But it's completely natural to focus on what you can control in your team. The problem is if, if that's all you do, you get pretty myopic. The best teams I'm working with, they really work on who are the people upstream and downstream that we need to work with. How do we get flow across the organization? How do we get value into the hands of our customers quickly? And sometimes achieving flow means that instead of asking who do I work for, it's asking who do I work with? When you get team connection right, everyone benefits, the employee, the employer, and the customer, right? To get stuff done, the best organizations and teams right now are focusing on modern work. They're dreaming about the future, but they're dreaming about it by planting the seed to get the right things done right now. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom enable teams to work effectively together to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Learn more at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L, ASSIAN.com Support for Pivot comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, including Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared, company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Scott, we've got a few more big stories today. First up, Amazon will buy One Medical for $3.9 billion. Who would have thunk it, Kara? Who would have thunk it? Which I, yeah. Shares of Teladoc Health, CVS Health, and Walgreens Pharmacy fell amidst the news. Scott, you've been mentioning Amazon making big moves into health arena. One Medical is a fascinating company. Uh, let's play a clip from June 2021. I think the business that will gain the most market capitalization over the next several years is Amazon, and it'll be on the backs of their entry into healthcare. There you go. We talked about this a lot. And in fact, oddly enough, at a dinner party this week, I said, you have relationships with certain people. And I went through Apple and this, I said, at Amazon, why can't they own healthcare? Like, why can't they deliver your healthcare? They'd probably do a better job. Um, so I looked very smart at this dinner party because uh, I was quoting you. Um, so what do you think? Is this the right move? Uh, is it good for the healthcare industry? Does it pressure other tech giants who have been there. Google had been in health for a little bit to move into health. Apple, I think, is probably the one we'd be thinking of. Um, I don't see them doing a one medical-like thing, but what do you think? And then we'll get to legislators in a minute. I love this. So just some context here. There has never been a sector in the history of our modern economy that's more disruptable than U.S. healthcare. Its prices have increased faster than inflation for the last 40 years, and one out of five people are satisfied with their healthcare. It's a huge uh, social ill in America. 
Uh, the number of people who have moved in the last 20 years has been cut in half. And we're trying to figure out why, because a lack of mobility of human capital makes a nation less productive, less dynamic, because human capital isn't being applied to its best use. When there's you know economic growth in Texas, people should be moving to Texas. When your parents need help, you should be moving. So a lack of mobility is really a bad thing. And I think one of the drivers is a lack of portability around health care. Uh, in addition, the happiest nations in the world, seven of the 10 of them, are in Northern Europe, and it's not because of the weather, and maybe it's partially because of the culture, but I think a big component is happiness is not only a function of the things you get, but absence from the, uh, an absence of fear of the things that can be taken away from you. And in our country, you can be firmly middle class, and if your wife is diagnosed with lung cancer, that means there's a good chance you're going to go bankrupt. And so this is an industry that has consistently raised prices, has exercised all sorts of legislative or regulatory capture. Uh, has terrible customer satisfaction. It is the worst retail in the world. I've I've been I've been to doctors' offices more in the last two months than probably in the last twenty years, and I just imagine like going into a Best Buy and say, "Hi, I was here yesterday. I want to look at a TV," and them saying, "Well, fill out this same fourteen pages of." of paperwork that you filled out yesterday again, I'm not even going to stand up or look you in the eye and go sit down and we'll call you when you're fortunate enough that we can take your money. And you have all these people up front, all these, you know, eight people up front trying to organize and bill for and get insurance reimbursement for the 11 minutes you're going to finally have in an hour with a doctor somewhere hidden back in the bowels of this shitty real estate. It is this industry is literally the mother of all chins being wait to, uh, waiting to be stuck out. Now, what do you need? Uh, the, the biggest trend in business history uh, over the last 50 years has been globalization, then digitization, and then I think it's dispersion, and specifically dispersion away from doctor's offices and hospitals. So One Medical is is a really, I've tried it. I was joined it for a little while. Um, it certainly was a lot easier. You know, I just, it was right around the corner. I went in, I had the flu, and I got the stuff right away. Like, it was, it was a little sort of a, more of a glorified, you know, in CVS, they have those quick minute clinics and stuff like it was a more glorified version of that um and i remember talking to the doctors and they kind of liked working for it they were like well it's better it's more regular i wouldn't say they were the top doctors right they were sort of like this is a good life kind of thing so and most people most of their problems are minor right when people have medical issues it's the flu or an ear infection with kids or stomach ache or something and it's not serious so, and then there's been the concierge medicine movement among rich people, um, like Forward and some others that are a little even fancier than that. But they are sort of the same thing, like like storefronts that you go like you'd go to a grocery store, essentially. So what do, what can Amazon bring to this? Like they could deliver your pharmaceutical pharmaceutical stuff, you know, your drugs and stuff like that to you. They can, what? What can they bring to this that's better? Because I don't love their stores. I got to tell you, I find their store experience uh, dystopian. Uh, so I've been a member of One Medical for two years. Mm -hmm. I think it's outstanding. Uh, okay. When I got... When I found out, you know, you always think I thought I was going to be the person that advances to the next round of the Squid Games and mm -hmm. not get COVID. I've, mm -hmm. I've, um, I think I've been sick two or three times since the age of 18, and I started believing that somehow I had some special immunity, so yeah. I get COVID. I pressed the icon on one medical within 30 seconds or maybe a couple minutes. I was speaking to a nurse practitioner. She not only prescribed me Paxlovid, but was able – she had visibility into which pharmacies most likely had enough stock. It was a fantastic experience. I think it's fantastic. As a matter yeah. of fact, when I, I was so enamored with One Medical, yeah. but its stock seemed rich that I invested in a, another health tech company called 98.6 that does text-based preventive mm -hmm. care. 
So they'll sell into a Walmart or yeah. a Costco, and they say to all their employees, if you have any issues around health, you just literally text these guys, and a healthcare professional starts a chat message with you. Yeah. And, and I just think that's the future. And what Amazon brings I, I would here, agree. But what do you think about, what did Amazon bring to this? Now, I met the, one of the founders of One Medical at one point, a long time ago. I mean, it's a, it's a very innovative system. It, it is a glorified minute clinic. It just is. That's what it is. It's like a better one. And I've gone there, again, for flus and things like that. But what, it's got better tech. What could Amazon bring to it? Well, first off, just to protect one, one yeah. is a much more aspirational brand than most I agree. urgent care. It feels better. Right. It might feel dystopia. One, your dystopia is it feels like Apple esque. No, I'm me. talking about their their groceries, their their new Amazon Goes. I don't like them. I oh, had those. my Wegmans me. thing. Like they're, but they're, what does Amazon they, bring? Amazon yes. brings much needed capital. The, the company mm-hmm. was at a uh, forty bucks a share. It declined to ten bucks a share, mm-hmm. and it it has it has seven hundred. It has about three quarters of a million members. Mm-hmm. But it lost a quarter of a billion dollars. So yeah. it needs capital. But yeah. what Amazon brings simply to this, that it's just going to be gangster here, it brings the largest membership base in the history of business. It brings Amazon Prime. Where it, Query me this. Amazon Prime now includes remote healthcare. Mm-hmm. Say, Alexa, connect me with Amazon One Medical. And in 10 seconds, you're on with a medical professional that, that, where you can say, okay, yeah. I think my kid has cholera or, or and cholera. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Wrong? Okay. Uh, colic. I'm sorry. Colic. Okay. Whatever cholera they get. Shit. Bad. I don't get care. To a, if you have cholera, get to a hospital. But go ahead. But my point is, if over, tell me, tell me what's going to happen to one medical. If Amazon Prime announces it's now a feature, you get 48-hour free fulfillment, you get storage capacity, you get Amazon Prime, and you also get remote healthcare. Right. I mean, okay. all of a sudden, one right. medical would be Speaking one of the biggest of your healthcare vasectomy, brands in the world. Would you do a vasectomy? You wouldn't do your vasectomy there. You go to specialists, right? So it doesn't solve the bigger problems when it gets complex. Oh, it correct? solves a lot of it, care because here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You can't get a vasectomy over the phone, but you can get... Okay, so again, TMI, I went in to, for, to get a vasectomy. I went to the fucking consultation, and it was an old mm-hmm. man saying, oh, you're closing up shop and making a bunch of jokes <laughs> after I'd waited in the uh, uh, his waiting room for an hour and filled <laughs> a bunch of bull- bullshit paperwork. I'm like... Why didn't we do this over the phone? Right, right. Why, did, why am I here? Why laser, I laser Big Ed and the twins. Let yeah. me go home and have gigantitis <laughs> of the testicles for two days. <laughs> I can't believe that you, let me just take a moment. I, my kids were like, he donated sperm for a year, three or four times a week. That's all they said to me. And then they, you know what it's called? It's called being 19. What? Mommy it's wasn't paying my tuition, Alex okay. and Louie. <laughs> Mommy wasn't paying my tuition. <laughs> okay. Big Ed had to step right, back, up. Back to your vasectomy. So you would go for, if you have a big thing, I can see going, it was very convenient. I do have a big for, thing. <laughs> By the way, Ari Emanuel looked great, didn't he? Yes. This is a photograph for people who don't know of Elon not looking so fit. And Ari looking fantastic. Okay, you saw my tweet. The picture of those two. I saw your seven tweets. I got got attacked for you body shaming, just so you know. Okay, but But we should talk about that. I wrote my favorite. This one, I'm especially proud of this tweet when I I tweeted that picture out. Yeah. Um, I said, everyone's second thought, Ari Emanuel is hot. He is. I want to talk a little bit about foul shaming and shit posting. Yeah. Okay. Because I got right. attacked a lot. I made a lot of very snarky comments like, you know, we rolled him back into the ocean at high tide and he was seen yeah, doing great in the bay a few hours later. So I got attacked for fat shaming and I have a code yeah. around shit posting. Yeah. Okay. And that is I never draw first blood. If okay. this guy, if somebody shit posts 
about me once, fine, I take it. Yeah. Try to be a stoic. If they do it multiple times, I counterpunch. And two, you only shit post yeah. uh, against people who are much more powerful than you. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just bullying. Even if someone comes yeah. after you, if they're okay. less powerful than you, you ignore it. But mm -hmm. let me be clear, folks. This ridiculous notion that I, somehow it's below me to fat shame this guy. Yeah. Oh, wait, were you indignant when he sent out an yeah. emoji yeah. of a pregnant woman and a yeah. picture of Bill Gates? Were you were you outraged when he references or attacks or shit posts mm -hmm. women of color at companies yeah. he's turning into his Kong ball? So yeah, yeah I will yeah. absolutely yeah. shit post. That was my excuse. I was like, this guy invented shit posting. So let me let me dig my hole even deeper here. Okay. okay. Some people <laughs> live in food some... deserts. Some right. people are genetically predisposed. <laughs> Don't. My kids are going to have a bad bad hair. There's nothing they can do yeah. about it. My 7,000 yeah. kids. By yeah. the way, if they all show up and they're yeah. they're fit and they are tall and, and got my better genes, I'm going okay. to assemble an army and take over Australia. I would like okay. to take over Australia. Okay. I already have plans right. for this. I want to get back to- Rise up, little Galawegians. Rise up. Tomorrow <laughs> belongs to us. Here's the deal. I'm going to link these together in a, in a I don't know how I'm going to do this, but- if you need to get fit, you sh these kind of one medicals are very helpful, like it, regular, easy access to healthcare, including storefronts and discussing things. And I think people don't have an ongoing relationship with their medical doctor that they should. They need to do it more regularly versus when something happens. And that's how we do medicine now, when it's the worst. And so that's one good thing is this idea of making it easy to do your basic healthcare. And I think Amazon is very good at that. And so it makes sense that they would own this. Well, look what Amazon did for retail. There were a lot of barriers in retail. One, I got to get in my car. Two, yeah. I usually go to a place where I might not have as much selection as I'd like. Three, I might have insecurity around yeah. it being the best price. Amazon took away all those barriers. The barriers that have emerged because of regulatory capture and HIPAA and overregulation. The barriers between you getting six or 12 minutes. I'm flying to freaking Europe and I need a, to get a prescription for Lunesta because I can, you know, the jet lag mm -hmm. uh, and daddy needs to sleep. Mm -hmm. it, it requires an hour on the fucking phone and then a visit to the doctor's office because it's considered a class two narcotic. They can't get me on text message and go, okay, it doesn't appear you're an addict. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll give you the script and we're sending it over now. And also more broadly, when you look at Amazon and Apple, you're talking about, I think, I think Walmart, I think they're the three largest top line revenue companies mm -hmm. in the world. Now, Walmart has a lower PE, so it only needs to grow kind of six to 10% a year to maintain its stock price. If Amazon and Apple, in order for them to maintain their stock price, they have to add both of them in the next five years, a quarter of a trillion dollars in top line revenue. So what does that indicate? It makes it obvious what industries they need to go into because there's only a handful of industries that offer a carcass that large for them to feed on specifically. Mm -hmm. And this is another prediction. Apple is going into the automobile industry because they have to. Yep, Where else yep. can they find a quarter of a trillion dollars? And Amazon, we predicted, was going into the healthcare industry, not even because they want to, or I do think it hits the brand. They have no choice. Yeah. Th yeah, these companies can't go after the speaker market. It's actually a good business for Amazon. It's a good business for. We'll see. 100%. I think there are bi two big issues. Uh, you know, they've got to figure out a way to comply with HIPAA. It's much more complex, and they they should do something about prescription drugs. Mark Mark uh, Cuban is doing this, but you know, we'll see if if legislators do anything about it. Because also, by the way, first of all, many they're they're looking at the MGM merger and things like that. 
Uh, but they're not going to be passing these antitrust laws before, uh, for, for, before the midterms, possibly. But federal prosecutors in the Department of Labor are inspecting Amazon warehouses as they look into working conditions. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Southern District of New York says it's interested in potential worker safety hazards. OSHA says it's joined the investigations. Amazon says it's cooperating with authorities. This is a longtime problem at Amazon. They also have, la- they have labor issues. This is going to be scrutinized as a purchase. But the problem is there's so much competition in this area. That's right. I, I think this... I think this goes through because I think people, there's never been an industry and more consumer receptivity to disruption. Correct. But they're still Amazon. And so they've got a lot yeah. of fronts with legislators and this opens up a new one uh, yeah. that is going to be, they're going to have to bring their best Washington game here. And, you know, interesting, Auntie Jesse, who's coming to code, he's been spending a lot of time in Washington compared to Bezos. And he should, he's being smart mm-hmm. about that. And this is going to require that because people get all funny around healthcare. And so- this is going to be scrutinized by lots and lots of different regulators. Um, and, and the labor stuff is, is one of the many different things they have to deal with. I'm really excited about this because we need to move away. There's a large cohort in America whose only interface with healthcare is the emergency room. Yep. They let a rash uh, evolve into a full-blown infection. They yep. let yep. you know, a UTI turn into a kidney infection because they're intimidated or they don't have the yep. money. And we need we need to push preventive health care in addition and also family planning uh, out to people and take advantage of the infrastructure of processing power, smartphones and smart speakers. Agreed. Amazon's probably the best purchaser and it makes sense. And you have a relationship with them. You have a relationship with them. Anyway, uh, Scott, just so you're aware, just my son still can't believe you spent that much time masturbating. Anyway, let's pivot to a listener question. You've got you've got I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You've got mail. The question comes from Josh via email. I'll read it. Hi, Karen Scott. I'm a digital marketer living in Brooklyn, New York, though my drive and work ethic have allowed me to advance quickly in the field. I'm all but certain advertising is not for me. I would like to pivot my career towards investigative journalism. Oh, wow. Hmm. My question to you, Kara, is what do you recommend to someone who wants to build a beat? I'm paying, uh, I'm close to paying off student loans and would like to avoid enrolling in an institution like Columbia School of Journalism if possible. Scott, as someone who, who cautions listeners about following passions, you pointed out most people can recommend doing so already rich. I welcome your feedback on significant career changes. Big thanks to both of you and the team for all the work that goes into the podcast to Josh. Josh, wow, going into investigative reporting from marketing. I don't think you need to go to school. I think you need to start working and get yourself affiliated with a, even a smaller job at places like ProPublica. Uh, there's a whole bunch of places that are doing all kinds of really, the Center for Investigative Journalism. There's lots and lots of stuff, but doing it or work for a small newspaper, move somewhere, and there's always a, something to investigate in in small towns and things like that. And start to really just do gumshoe reporting and just figure out something you want to focus in on and see where it leads. I just, there's no way to do it except by doing it. And I think journalism is a craft and not an art, uh, as mm-hmm. many people do. Um, and just doing it over and over again. I, I If I were you, I would get affiliated with one of those organizations at a low level or else go find a, a job at a small newspaper uh, in a city, a small city and start to find there's some, you know, you just start with a local government and go from there, school board, uh, whatever. There's always something. There's always something that can needs to be investigated. And then just start asking questions. You don't need training for this. It's just someone who can ask questions well and get yourself attached to a great editor at whatever one of those organizations, because they're critical. My wife was an investigative editor, investigations editor at CNN, and before that at the Boston Globe. She worked on Spotlight stuff. She was a poetry major at Brown, you know, I mean, or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. you just have to have a keen sense of question asking. 
um, and then just do it over and over and over again. Oh my God, you married a poetry major from Brown? Yes, yes. You do you like? Do you guys read Atlantic <laughs> stories to each other for foreplay? I don't. I don't. She's very Jesus smart. Jesus Christ, you're so She's fucking super liberal. Smart. My wife is so smart. I love it. Um, yeah. She actually is now working for the Washington Post as an op-ed editor. But yes, I did. Yes, she's a very good poet. I'm going to send you some of her poetry. It's quite lovely. You well, would understand, and it's too it's well beyond you in your masturbatory ways. I'll sit staring at my e- email inbox for the yes, poetry. Exactly. I love poetry. Kara Swisher loves poetry. I'm going to introduce really? you some great poets. Yes, I do. I read a lot of poetry. Yes, That's I do. funny, because I didn't think you did edibles. <laughs> Anyways, I thought your advice was right on, and that is the best way, the key step to any transition is starting. Yep. And that is open your laptop and start writing and start you know, trying to be, quote unquote, a journalist. Now, having said that, the easiest way or the most important attribute you can have in a pivot into investigative journalism, and I suggest you acquire this, is rich parents. <laughs> you can't, not everybody has rich, lots of investigative reporters well, are not rich. that's my point. And most right. of them, uh, it's, uh, Kara, there's just no getting around it. Mm-hmm. I- investigative journalism is a shitty business. And this is. is situational. Mm-hmm. If you have the money and you've saved some money, or you have a low cost, you have a low burn or low overhead, mm-hmm. then my brother, go for it. But just to be your dad for a moment, mm-hmm. if you're making good money in advertising, what I would just suggest is the following. Don't quit your day job until you have a good offer from somewhere mm-hmm. and start doing it as a side hustle. Start writing articles on Medium, then seeing if you can be a regular contributor. I just had a guy do something I am having a profile on me, which scares the shit out of me from the New York Times style section, oh, but he does one. contract oh, work. He interviewed you, right? Yeah. Did you talk about my vasectomy? Anyway, so- I talked about your masturbatory activities. There you go. Yeah. Again, stop ragging on my hobbies. So, But I would suggest, like, yeah, do what Kara says, get started, but also just have a sober conversation with yourself. I don't know your situation around mm-hmm. the economics you need because you are going into a field- that is notoriously shitty in terms of compensation, and it's getting worse. Yeah, because it, it, the, it's a bad business. It's a business it in is. decline. Having said that, if you can write well, if you can write well, what I'd suggest is commit to being a journalist. But it, you don't know. Be open to where it takes you. Because mm-hmm. I have journalists working for me. We do a lot of writing, mm-hmm. and we pay them well. Defining yourself to, to what I'll call long form investigative journalism is a career that is going to be underpaid. And if you can afford that, then go for it. Or if you're someone Mm -hmm. who doesn't need to, you know, you're fine living a more modest lifestyle and remote in a low cost area, but have a sober conversation with yourself around the expectation of the economics or the pivot here. Regarding a pivot at a later stage in life, I would say to people, well, I I get calls all the time. Should I apply to business school? I'm 35. And I'm like, well, okay. In two years, you're going to be 37. Would you rather be 37 with an MBA or 37 without one? It doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. Yeah. So don't let age get in the way. But I would have a sober conversation around the economics involved here. Yep. I think that's what you talk about a lot. And I do. It isn't a great way to make money. Uh, but if you, if you have uh, asking questions, that's what it is. It, it is not a money making opportunity for you. Um, but you know, if you can swing it, it's really fascinating. And you know, in some cases you can really uh, start small, start with a small problem that you see. Um, and don't always assume everything becomes an investigative thing. Uh, you know, there's not a, a controversy around every corner, but y- usually if you go near government, Oh, there's so many schools, education, healthcare. There's always some. There's you can find a story somewhere, no question. In any case, if you've got a question of your own you'd like answered, send it our way. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. 
Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, we're going to do wins and fails. I'm going to start with the Secret Service. The agency provided just a single text message exchange to its inspector general when the office requested months of records around January 6th. When asked where the other messages went, the Secret Service blamed a device migration policy. Secret Service says it provided over 10,000 pages of documents in response to congressional subpoena. There will be more news here uh, from the January 6th committee after we record. We'll get into that next week. It's, there's a primetime session tonight. It looks pretty spicy. Uh, they, they were asked to preserve these records. They did a migration after that, even though they've been asked to it. In pure incompetence here does not explain it. Um, and, 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 and they're already under siege after Casey, Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, testified that Trump tried to grab the steering wheel of the SUV. Trump defenders said that the Secret Service agents would deny her report under oath, which they haven't done. And other police officers are there support, uh, Cassidy Hutchinson's story. I think this, uh, there needs to be a top to bottom cleanup of the Secret Service. One of their, uh, agents became a Trump, um, advisor. He sounds pretty sketchy to me. It feels like an episode of Scandal. I, I've talked to a lot of tech people and they're confused by the Secret Service's response because some of this should be available. And it, it required multiple steps of failure and bad decision making. So at the very least, they're incompetent. At the very most, they're culpable here in, in covering things up. So I just, I, 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 I can't believe the more I hear from them about what happened here at a critical time in history, what they did. It seems unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. So that's my fail. It really is. A, it's hugely damaging to the Secret Service brand. The Secret Service has always been seen as like kind of like I would describe it a little bit like the Navy SEALs. They just take orders. They're, they're not political. Their job is to protect the president. They're also in charge of counterfeiting. It's an unusual organization um, or police and counterfeiting. But when they become nakedly political like this, it's terrible for the, all the, 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 you know, the incredible work. And they kind of do it in the shadows. They're not, yeah. they don't seek fame. Well, uh, except the Navy SEALs have sort of gotten out of hand, all these books. Well, that's, that's, that's crazy right. ones. They're yeah, just, the guys, you mean the guy's killing people. an enemy combatant when he's a 17-year-old yeah, when he's contained or going on speaking tours, claiming they shot bin Laden when they were just there. They went the ones. Anyway, I agree with you. Every tech person I talk to says this is a very sketchy story from them. And by the way, they said that all the Secret Service, the U.S. Secret Service always knows how to do forensic work on texting. They do. They, they're very, they're supposedly very highly skilled in technical areas. And the fact that they're, they're acting like, well, we let, we let them erase what they want. They should have backed up what they want. You know, the whole thing. And I love that Apple. they sent them one. I yeah, just like, I know. oh, here it's it is. Just, here's one. <laughs> here's one. And it's it like, doesn't... 
Should we go to Chick-fil-A or chop today? <laughs> it also creates conspiracy theories that there's a text 100%. that says Trump 100%. just attacked Tony or whatever the heck or yeah. whatever the other guy. But, you know, then testify too, guys. Like, give me a fucking break. Stop, like, trashing this woman if you're mm-hmm. not going to testify. Y'all look like you're up to tricks. And, 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 and every single tech person I talk to says the whole thing sounds really sketchy. So there you go. Um, and my win is Michael Pollan's series on his book, uh, uh, Changing Your Mind, on um, on all kinds of psychedelics. I thought it was beautifully done. On, hmm. Where, on, where is on, it? Is it a- on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Oh, Wonderful. no kidding. It's really good. They managed to show a trip in a way that was interesting. I don't know how they did it. But he's did. my guest on today's Prop G pod. Yeah, he's great. I've interviewed him a bunch of times. I yeah. thought the I thought the book. You was had great. to say that, didn't you? Oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I, I've interviewed I, him a bunch of times. About him a year, many years ago. Yeah, no, other you were first. Omnivores. You were first. Oh, stop it! Stop it! He's a great. It's a he's a great guy, and uh, uh, he's a he's a wonderful. I wanted guy, to adopt actually. him as my father. Didn't he seem like a guy? He's who'd be a great guy. He's a great and guy. Just a great dad. He's a great guy, yeah. and very interesting. And this was he did the first the first episodes on LSD. Really interesting show, and about what happened to LSD. All this there was a lot of research happening before they decided it was criminal. You know because of the countercultural movement and Timothy Leary and so the stuff we've lost, uh, you know, in terms of research is really significant. So yeah, that was just LSD. Now he's moving on to other things. I think just really beautifully done. Anyway, that's my win. All right, your win and fail? My win is I'd like to think we've hit peak idolatry of uh, famous people or peak megalomania. I think we hit peak founder with Adam mm-hmm. Newman. I think people mm-hmm. are boards and investors are realizing that some founders are great, others are not. Mm-hmm. And this because of the founder doesn't mean they should be able to, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't have to indulge kind of what is behavior that is not good for stakeholders. And I wonder if we've hit the same thing with what I'll call peak megalomania or these mm-hmm. cult, cultist-like leaders. And that is, I believe that Donald Trump is going to be Indicted. I also believe that uh, the Chancellor McCormick is going to make very short order of this Twitter case and mm-hmm. just say, this is a contract. You signed it. You're a big boy. Pay up. And I think that I think that is a good moment, or I'm hoping it'll be a good moment for America where we reinstitute that we are a nation of laws. So my win is I do believe we have hit what I'll call peak megalomania and that the rule of law is going to you – know, I, I think the arc of justice in America is crooked, but it does bend towards the righteous. Yep. And I think our institutions are strong. We spend a tremendous amount of money, thought leadership. We have the best law schools in the world. And there is a gestalt among most legal professionals that they yes. do respect the law. Yeah. And I, I like to think that we're seeing we're seeing a, a overdue immune response from uh, the Department of Justice and in this case the the Delaware Chancery Court. Anyways, mm-hmm. the other win is I love Mark Cuban and Amazon getting into healthcare. Yeah, I think that a more competition in healthcare could effectively be the biggest tax cut for consumers in mm-hmm. history. If we can give people absence from fear, if we can reduce costs through competition. Do you realize, uh, and I've said this before, people always say, oh, you're a bad person. I canceled my health insurance about five years ago. You did, I know. And because what is health insurance? 45 cents on the dollar goes to profits or administration, meaning that you're getting 55 cents worth of goods. And who's it for? Health insurance is essentially for, and I noticed I looked at our health insurance payments. We were always mm-hmm. going out of network, never getting reimbursed. And it was costing my family, me and my family, because I'm a narcissist. I'm like, oh, I got to mm-hmm. get the best plan. I was paying about 45 or 50 grand a year. And what is health insurance for? It's to protect you against the big one. And if you have some money and you, can, and you, you have the economic 
resilience to protect against the big one, you don't need health insurance. So like everything else in our country, health insurance is a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. And over five years, I've saved a quarter of a million dollars on health insurance. That will buy a lot of health care. So our ability, uh, if we can create more competition and bring costs down and bring service up using technology, using the cheap capital yeah. that Amazon has, using, I think, some of the innovation that hopefully Mark Cuban will bring to the pharmaceutical, the biggest tax cut in a long time and the biggest increase in time or giving people back uh, peace of mind and time is going to be increased competition in healthcare. So that's Absolutely. my win. Absolutely. And drug prices, it's all a scam. It really is. It's And no, everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. Like it, And we still participate in it because we're fearful of dying. Well, look at health insurance companies. Yep. Every we're year, fearful. they just make more money. And I, they do. I, and I'm, not, I'm a capitalist. I like that. Scam. But what does it say when one type of company in the same sector is always increasing profits? And it's lack always. of innovation. It's lack of innovation. And it, the prices should be driven down the way they were in newspapers, you know? Retail like the and way, media. Everything. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> driven down. It's time. It's ridiculous. It's time. Though I really do think with all your children, you really should have more health care. And, and health insurance. Yeah, we get, you're going there again. You're going there again. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, anyways, what? so you're gonna wear that thing out, I'll Dad. Just say that. I'll Dad, just say that. <laughs> um, no, you didn't totally... underline that book. That's your hair falling out. Okay, um, all right, all right. Anyway, I'm Let taking me... over Australia. All right, so, okay. No, you're not. No, you're general not. consulate right. of Australia. My fail. Supposedly, somewhere between one in four and one in three women are leaving the workforce because of an absence of childcare post COVID, and I, I think the Democrats are again positioning this as outrage. And that this is about women. I don't think that's the right way to position it. There needs to be a class of worker that you say is a caregiver and you are going to invest in and give them the technology to work remotely so they don't have to spend 10 hours on the fucking MTA every day. Yeah. And yep. they can take care of a dad who's suffering from dementia. They can take yeah. care of kids yeah. that might have to do remote schooling for a variety of reasons. When we when we don't allow or we don't support women in the workforce, we reduce our economic might. It has been a huge, it has been Agreed. a huge this is, of economic power here. Everyone knows this. This is like one of, you know, when the whole sexual harassment thing happened, every woman had a story and every woman knows this. And, no matter, and also, no matter what, where you are, it's difficult. Child care is a difficult issue to deal with. It's because it's hard. It's It's so full of friction. It's so full of friction. It's just not organized in the way it should be. It should be easy. It should be simple, and it's simply not. And so you're right. Good for you, Scott Galloway. I remember in the third grade, we had one of those assembly where they bring everybody out in a line into the main area, you know, in case mm -hmm. there was a nuclear war or something. Duck and cover, mm -hmm. and I'm your principal, and I'm going to talk about nothing. We'd all line up. Mm -hmm. I was violently ill and began throwing up in front of the entire Emilita uh, Elementary mm -hmm. School, which was really good for my brand. Um, I was known as the kid, like, they, they called me the, like, the porcelain god or the technicolor yawner yeah. all through the fifth and sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I went, I mean, I was really sick. They took me to nervous service. I called my, they called my mom mm -hmm. and my mom couldn't leave her job. Right. She had a, a kid really sick at home, but she was a secretary for an insurance company mm -hmm. in the Valley and she just wasn't allowed to leave. Mm -hmm. To not support or figure out a way to leverage new technologies and new, new processes around remote work for caregivers is just stupid. We need workers. We need to reduce inflation. We're losing people out of the workforce. And, and we we're need, making, and all like that, uh, again, let me politicize this. Right. How on earth do we expect women to balance career and their personal life if we don't give them access to family planning? That's going to hurt that the economy. That is true. Oh, Scott, I'm Anyways. so glad you finally arrived here at our little party of shittiness. Anyway. Send uh, me the poetry. <laughs> Send me your poetry. <laughs> wow. 
Oh, goodness yeah, sake. No. Anyway, one thing before we go, uh, life is not always uh, happy. This week, we lost Anastasia Golveshkina, I think I'm pronouncing that correct, to cancer. Anastasia was a digital strategist for many progressive causes, including Elizabeth Warren campaign. She's, she texted me a lot. She DM'd me a lot. She was a big pivot fan, um, and the feeling was mutual. She tried to get Elizabeth Warren for us and various things. She's just She was just a very bright light. Um, she died of cancer. Uh, which came suddenly. She wrote a great piece in Elle a couple of years ago about it, um, which you should read. I linked to it in a tweet. Uh, but rest in peace, Anastasia. What a lovely soul you are and condolences to all who knew and loved you. Um, Scott, that's the show. That's the show. We love our fans, just so you know. We've met lots of them this week on planes and trains and automobiles. We think you're all wonderful and we really love your suggestions. Um, okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Tuesday with more Pivot. Scott, read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Indertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Mil Severio. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business care. Have a great rest of the week and weekend. Support for the show comes from Atlassian. What do you think of when you hear the word flow? How about a smooth river of collaboration culminating in a shared ocean of positive outcomes across your organization? Atlassian software like Loom, Confluence, and Jira can help you achieve maximum flow across your teams by enabling fast and easy communication and connection no matter what time zone they're in. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. Learn how to unlock flow across your teams at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. 